From DeFacto Sound, you're listening to 20,000 Hertz, the stories behind the world's most recognizable and interesting sounds. I'm Dallas Taylor. This is the story behind dolls that talk and some that listen. Will you play with me? I love being a fashion model. Mommy, I'm sleepy. Kiss me goodbye. Can you and I be friends? I'm a lot like you, a lot like you. Talking dolls have been around for over a century. But the fascination with making inanimate objects seem human reaches back into our early history. What is it about creating a companion that can interact with us, especially for a child, that fascinates us? One of the first people to create a talking doll was Thomas Edison in the late 1800s. He used a small version of his phonograph and worked with toy makers to make a doll that would house it. My name is Carlene Stevens. I'm a curator in the Division of Work and Industry at the National Museum of American History. We have an Edison talking doll in our collection here. It's one of only a handful that have survived. Ours, for some reason, has no hair, no clothes, except shoes and socks. It's also a very heavy doll. I try to picture little girls or little boys carrying this thing around, the doll is almost as big as a toddler. The doll's voices were on wax cylinders that couldn't be mass-produced, so each one was recorded individually. Every doll featured one of several nursery rhymes performed by young women. Here's a restored version of Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. untrained teenage voices shouting into primitive audio machines resulted in some pretty screechy, horrifyingly screechy records. If you didn't know the nursery rhyme, the words could be unintelligible. It was that bad. Regardless of the quality of their performances, these women might have been the first professional voiceover artists. But the real purpose of the doll to be able to speak these nursery rhymes didn't succeed. An Evening Star article at the time had the headline, Dolls That Talk. They would be more entertaining if you could understand what they say. In addition to being not at all intelligible, they often broke. Many of them were returned. The fragile nature of the phonograph itself, the mechanism inside the heaviness of the doll, the large size of the doll. The dolls didn't sell well either. In all, Edison's doll was a massive commercial failure. It wasn't until 1960 that we had a true successor to Thomas Edison's talking doll. And this one was commercially successful. Her name? Chatty Cathy. Oh, Chatty Cathy, oh, Chatty Cathy, all the tell famous talking dolls. We pull the ring. And you say you love them different things. Let's play house. Some people were unnerved with having a talking doll in their house. The Twilight Zone even made an episode about a murderous talking doll. And get this, they hired the same actress, June Foray, who voiced the actual Chatty Cathy doll. Hello? Hello? My name is Tina, and I'm going to kill you. 
spoiler alert, that's exactly what Talkie Tina did. But cultural discomfort didn't hinder toy progress. Once we had a doll that could successfully talk, there was another element to add. Animation. In the 1980s, Ken Forsey, a former Disney animatronics artist, created Teddy Ruxpin. Teddy's slogan? The world's first animated talking toy. While at the time this animated bear seemed like exciting new technology, it actually was in line with an incredibly old tradition of clockwork machines built to move on their own, also known as automatons. As soon as the clock was invented, around the year 1300, it was immediately apparent that with that kind of mechanism, it was possible to do other things, like animate figures. Nobles employed very talented mechanicians to build little figures for banquet tables. And you would wind them up, and they would roll across the table and do various things. I once saw a photograph of a full-size animated bear. The exterior was bare skin, but inside there was clockwork. And that probably dated from the 17th century. Come dream with me tonight. In the 1980s version, the child could insert a cassette tape into Teddy's back, and he would move his mouth along with the words that played. Hi, my name is Teddy Ruxpin. Can you and I be friends? Along with the audio track, the tape had a second secret track. It was this control track that actually made his eyes and mouth move in time with the words, as if telling the story. But some regular tapes could be played through Teddy, and even a few would make him move, especially heavy metal for some reason. How they did that is still a mystery to me. This brings us to a different tradition, one of using technology for unintended purposes. In the 21st century, dolls can not only talk to you, but they can also listen. And some of them might be telling others what you're saying. Find out who could be listening in on your secrets after the break. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Like most everything else, there's a 21st century high-tech version of the talking doll. One that isn't just designed to keep your kid company, it also gathers information. Meet my friend Kayla. Ask Kayla almost anything. What's your name? My name's Kayla and yours is Abby. She understands you? Kayla knows millions of things. How do you make a cake? Mix eggs, flour, milk, butter. Wow, let's play a game. What's this? The Eiffel Tower in France. Incredible. Nice move. The doll asks what the child's name is, what their mom and dad's name is, where they go to school, uh, where they live. My name is Claire Gartland, 
and I'm the director of the Consumer Privacy Project at the Electronic Privacy Information Center, or EPIC. My organization filed a complaint with the Federal Trade Commission against the manufacturer of the smart toy, my friend Kayla. With a Bluetooth connection that accesses the internet through an app on your phone, this doll can not only ask your child questions, she saves the answers. These conversations with this super personal, customized information is being recorded and it's being sent to third parties. The biggest concern that they've raised is that there now could be a database of voice recordings that's accessible by law enforcement and national security officials. These dolls are marketed to be a child's best friend. The advertising says, you know, you'll be amazed at what Kayla can talk about. Kayla knows millions of things. Ask Kayla almost anything. She comes pre-programmed with all kinds of phrases and responses to really intimate, sensitive questions like, you know, whether the child is pretty or why her father wasn't able to make it to her soccer game. All kinds of really, you know, sensitive conversations that a child shouldn't be having with some company. I promise not to tell anyone. It's just between you and me because we are friends. Another major concern is security. The doll's way too easy to pair with your device. So there are no authentication requirements uh, for a user. When she is powered on, she's discoverable you know, in your Bluetooth connection menu as my friend Kayla, so it's clearly a child's toy. You don't even have to have her application downloaded on your phone. Anyone can connect to her if there's not an existing Bluetooth connection available. The doll can be used essentially as a Bluetooth headset. I had that experience myself when I was connected with her and sort of playing around with her interactive features. I received a phone call to my phone and Kayla, the doll, started ringing. A phone can connect to the doll from 50 feet away through a brick wall. It would be really easy for the caller to essentially speak to a child through that doll. And let's remember that the real problem here, besides the fact that that's just creepy, is that parents are not told about this. It feels a little sci-fi, and then you have to remind yourself that this is actually happening right now. And if this is happening right now, what's just down the road? Imagine a future where androids are created to be companions to our children. They can walk, talk, listen, and answer. What does that future doll look like in your mind? Is it a little bit scary? Aside from those pesky privacy concerns, there's something else at work here. It's called the Uncanny Valley, and it's a hypothesis put forth in a 1970 essay by then-robotics professor Masahiro Mori. The basic concept is that there's a spectrum. On one end, robots that look and act like humans, which we find appealing. And on the other end, robots that look and act nothing at all like humans, which we find cute. But the spectrum sags in the middle, forming the uncanny valley. Carleen Stevens explains. The study shows there's a curve. Up here, the thing looks, talks, moves a whole lot like a human. And this might be C-3PO. Oh, yes, Master Luke. Roughly speaking. And up here doesn't have any resemblance. It's R2-D2. 
Down in here, there's this area where people get freaked out. The C-3PO appealing. Over here! R2-D2 appealing. For a completely different reason. Down in here might be the Edison talking doll. Just creepy. If you look at our automaton, creepy. It's down in here where people have that reaction. This is the uncanny valley. Getting as close as possible to human and missing and being just repulsive in so many ways. The early efforts to anthropomorphize robots, those fall into that uncanny valley. People start looking and start noticing the shortfalls rather than the excellence in almost getting there. We're still a long way off from creating toys that fully replicate human behavior. But as quickly as technology has developed over the past century, that future might not be so distant. Just think about the difference between the Edison doll and my friend Kayla. My name's Kayla and yours is Abby. She understands you. What's next for talking dolls? As creepy as they are, we still keep buying them. So I don't think they're going away. What are they going to be like in 10, 20 years? By connecting them to the internet, have we already crossed the line? That makes them smarter than us. Do we really want that? Twenty Thousand Hertz is presented by DeFacto Sound, a sound design team dedicated to making television, film, and games sound insanely cool. Find out more at defactosound.com. This episode was produced and edited by Mylan Fitzwater Barrows and me, with help from Sam Sneebly. It was sound designed and mixed by Kenneth Gilbert. Thanks to Carlene Stevens from the Smithsonian National Museum of American History, Claire Gartland from the Electronic Privacy Information Center and Teddy Ruxpin for being my BFF in the 80s. There's nothing in the world like a good friend. The music in this episode is from Musicbed. They represent more than 650 great artists, ranging from indie rock and hip-hop to classical and electronic. Head over to music.20k.org to hear our exclusive playlist. Mass created our art, and Pocket Knife built our website, which you can find at 20k.org. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Our handle is 20korg on both. Consider supporting the show at donate.20k.org. Another thing that makes a massive difference is to text all of your friends and tell them to immediately subscribe. If you love this show, surely you have a few friends who will as well. All of these links are down in the show description. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.